Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be back with you after a couple of weeks away. Our family had a brush with COVID two weeks ago, and uh, last Sunday I was in Bancroft. So good to be back, and a special welcome to all of you who are here to witness the baptisms as family and friends. We've been studying what an authentic church is, and uh, we're just going to look at a few verses in Acts chapter 2. We've looked into this chapter before. I just want us to read uh, the last few verses of Peter's sermon from the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 and verses 36 to 40. Peter concludes his sermon by saying, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, And all the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation." Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. We, had to th- we just had three baptisms. Great job, by the way, guys. Three baptisms. 3,000 souls were baptized in one day. Uh, I heard a story this past week in our small group of a couple who, before they were married, got baptized at People's Church. 150 people got baptized in one day in a small tank. And the story was the, the water wasn't quite as crystal clear by the time uh, you, you got to the last person. So I, w- I want us to notice something about what Peter says here. When the people's uh, hearts were convicted by what he had preached, when they recognized that they needed to respond to the message, it says they were cut to the heart and they said, what should we do? And Peter's answer to them in verse 38 was repent and be baptized. Now, we generally would be careful to say that baptism doesn't save us. In fact, uh, some churches, some denominations, or uh, religious forms of Christianity believe in something we could call uh, baptismal regeneration, the idea that it's actually the act of baptism that saves us. So just for an example, I want to I quote from the great theologian uh, Randy Travis. Have you heard of him? Uh, here's a song. I think, I think this was meant to be fun, but here's a song he did um, called Pray for the Fish. Everybody gathered where the river runs wider at the edge of town to see if that Eddie Lee Vaughn baptism was really going to go down. Folks bet hard-earned money that that water wouldn't change a thing. They set the odds at a hundred to one. His soul would never come clean. Then the preacher said, people take a moment or two, there's something we need to do, and now this is the chorus. You ready for this? Pray for the fish. So this was obviously an outdoor baptism. They won't know what's coming when the sin starts rolling off the likes of him. Lord be with them, they ain't done nothing can tell it's country, eh? Please won't you have them just, please won't you leave them just a little bit of room to swim. Pray for the fish. Now, 
uh, kind of a fun song, not good theology. Uh, there's still water in the tank. The tank isn't full of sin. And we sing a song uh, that says this, what, show, what, what can wash away my sin? And the answer, of course, is nothing but the blood of Jesus. So baptism, we believe, is not something that saves us or truly cleanses us. It's symbolic, as we're going to see. And yet notice how important it is to Peter that when the people's hearts were convicted and they said, what should we do? Peter said it right up there with repentance. Now, by the way, we would usually, we would usually say faith. What should we do? And our answer generally would be, you need to believe. You need to trust in Christ. And of course, that's true. That's all through the Bible. I would argue that repentance and baptism is a beautiful way for us to demonstrate that we really believe. For example, why would I ever believe that I needed to repent? Why would I ever confess my sins to God? I would do that because I've heard the message that comes from Jesus. I've heard the message of salvation, and I recognize that because I trust him, that I actually need to confess my sins and repent. And the same is true of baptism. Baptism is a beautiful way for us to depict and demonstrate that we truly believe. Because it's not that easy, right, guys, to go up and get in that tank and tell your story. And, uh, right, it's, it's, it's tough to do that. There's all these people watching us, and, you know, who knows if Glenn's going to pull us back up in time. Or There's all kinds of aspects to baptism that are hard, and there's a reason for that. Baptism is a way for us to, tr- to show people that we really believe that we really trust. So it's, it's interesting to me that in the Bible, we can say on the one hand, yes, yeah, salvation doesn't save me, or excuse me, baptism doesn't save me. On the other hand, it's a crucial part of what it means to be a believer. This pattern of baptism is a pattern we see all through the book of Acts, starting here on the day of Pentecost, then in chapter 8 when Philip goes down to Samaria and the Samaritans are saved, they're baptized. And then later, there's the Ethiopian man that Philip shares the gospel with, and he gets baptized. And then Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, is described as being baptized in Acts chapter 9. And then Cornelius, the first non-Jewish person or Samaritan person to get saved, and he and his family are baptized. And then in Philippi, on a missionary journey, Paul baptizes people there. And you might remember the story of the Philippian jailer when Paul, is, uh, and, Paul and Silas are in the prison and they, they've been beaten uh, for their witness to Jesus. They're imprisoned and yet they're singing hymns to God. And when God shows up and there's this earthquake, the, Ethi- or the Philippian jailer becomes a believer and he gets baptized. So this is the pattern we see all through the book of Acts. But where does it come from? Where does this principle of baptism come from? It comes from Matthew chapter 28, what we call the Great Commission, where Jesus, just before he goes to heaven, gives this instruction to his disciples. And what does he say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' instruction to his disciples was to make disciples, which means, first of all, I have to be a disciple 
which is a learner. Jesus then is the teacher. I am the student. And so what is he saying? He's saying, you who are my followers or my students, your job is to go into the world and help other people see and hear this invitation to follow me. Uh, this is really important because somehow Christianity has twisted so much of what Jesus taught about what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Christ into religious forms. Uh, we heard a little bit about that in your testimonies this morning. Religious forms. So ideas like, well, if I go to church, I'm, I'm okay. If I keep certain rules, then maybe I'm saved. Or some people would say, if, I, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'll be okay. If I'm part of a certain group, a certain religious denomination, then I'm okay. Or maybe some would even say, if I'm baptized, I'll be okay. What Jesus is saying is, if you want to be right with God, you're going to find that with me, right? The disciples weren't to make disciples to themselves. They were to point people to Jesus because that's how we get right with God. It's not through a church. It's not through a denomination. It's not through my good deeds or my religious deeds. It's through Jesus that I can be right with God, that I can be saved. And so this is a relationship of discipleship where he's the master, he's the teacher, he's the savior, and I follow him in obedience and in trust. Notice how baptism is part of that. Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So baptism is this thing that happens when a person decides to follow Jesus. I want us to think about why baptism and Sometimes I've been frustrated because the Bible doesn't really explain why we're baptized. It teaches us some of the symbolism, which we're going to talk about now. When we think about the purpose of baptism, yeah, there's symbolism. The Bible describes this to us in various ways. The first one is the symbolism of cleansing, all right? So Randy Travis took it a little too far here. Baptism and the water of baptism is symbolic of cleansing, it doesn't actually do the cleansing, right? Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. His blood is necessary to cleanse us from all our sin. But baptism is symbolic of the washing away of, of our sin. But then it's also symbolic of death, burial, and resurrection. You can read about this in Romans chapter 6. The, the idea of dying with Christ and being buried with Christ and being raised again to life. This is why we believe as a church in uh, baptism by immersion. This is how you maintain this picture of death and burial going under the water and then coming back out of the water. This is where we get this beautiful picture. And there's two ways in which this is true. First of all, we can only be saved because Jesus died and was buried and rose again. That's how we can be saved. It's never on our own merit. It's not because we've earned salvation. It's because of what he did. He became our substitute, our sacrifice. But then the Bible teaches that anyone who believes in Jesus and becomes a follower of Jesus, we go through this same process. We die with Christ, it says in Romans chapter 6 and in other places. And we're buried with Christ. And then we are raised up to new life in Christ, his life flowing through us. Baptism 
symbolizes all of these things. Number one, the cleansing of our sins, symbolic, of course, and then death, burial, and resurrection. But there's another part to baptism that I think is really crucial. Think about God and his wisdom saying that anyone who chooses to follow Jesus has to be baptized. Peter said it right up there with repentance. You're cut to the heart. You want to know what to do? You want to know how to respond to Christ? Here's what you got to do. Repent and be baptized. He said it right up there. Why is that? I believe that baptism is, is a mechanism that forces us to count the cost. It forces us to reckon with this decision as to whether I'm really serious about this or not. Now, there's been lots of people over the years and the centuries of Christianity who got baptized and then uh, after the course of time, they prove that they're not actually followers of Jesus and they fall away. But there's also many, many people who having been faced with this decision, will I get baptized? Will I stand up and publicly declare my faith in Christ? That was actually the decision, the mechanism that forced them to ask themselves, am I really committed to this? Do I really believe this? Am I ready to commit my life to this? And so I would argue that baptism is this, in, in God's wisdom, a mechanism that he's given us to promote genuine conversion because of the way it forces us to reckon with what we're actually doing. To become a follower of Jesus is a decision. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It requires that we make a decision of faith, a commitment of faith. And so baptism is a beautiful way for us to be, to reckon with that decision. Am I ready to stand up in front of my peers, my family, a church, and, and, and declare that I trust in Christ and that I'm a follower of Jesus? I think that's a really important aspect of baptism. But then there's this sense of belonging as well. Now we've witnessed these three people get baptized and we know now because we've heard them declare it that they're actually our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And uh, they, they've declared themselves to be one of us in, the, in terms of us being followers of Jesus. And now we view them as being followers of Jesus. And there's accountability that comes from that because of the declaration that's happened. One of the things that we miss out when we think about baptism in our day is how serious the cost was for people in Bible times to get baptized. There's a really strange verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that talks about being baptized for the dead and I, I can't explain to you what that actually means but one of the most fascinating interpretations I've heard of that verse is that when these early believers became followers of Jesus and were baptized, some of them, most of them were persecuted, some of them were martyred. And in spite of that sacrifice, there were more and more people lining up to say, I'll follow Jesus, I'll get baptized. Now that's just the reality. This became publicly known. For example, in Acts chapter eight, when Philip uh, is sent to that Ethiopian man and, and he's traveling south to Africa and uh, Philip jumps up in the chariot and explains the, the scripture to him and this, this guy decides that he's gonna be a follower of Jesus. And how did he declare that? He asked a really strange question. What hinders me from being baptized, he said. 
Now, it's possible that Philip had explained in his explanation of the gospel that he, maybe he told the Ethiopian man that, that if he trusted Jesus, he would be baptized, which, by the way, is not a bad idea for us to lay that challenge out for people who are considering Christ. But I think the Ethiopian man had been in Jerusalem and he'd heard about this Christian movement and he'd heard about the baptisms. I think that's what had happened. There was this reputation, even in the broader community, that if you were a follower of Jesus, you'd go and do that baptism thing. So that when the Ethiopian man decided he was going to become a follower of Jesus, he just knew automatically, okay, so I, gotta, I get baptized now, right? Look, there's some water over there. This was the reputation of the early church. Imagine people, and of course, they didn't have a private building and a private tank. I'm not saying that's wrong for us to do that. But these people were baptized in public. The public pool, the public stream, or like John the Baptist out in the open countryside. So when you got baptized, anybody could know. Anybody could find out. Your family, just like people around the world to this very day who when they trust in Christ and get baptized, it's at that moment. It's at the moment of baptism that they're ostracized by their family. Because that's the public moment, the public declaration when they're saying, I'm with Jesus. We need to, to reckon with that reality here. Baptism promotes this genuine conversion, this commitment to Christ. I don't know about you, but when I go to a wedding and I see a couple make their vows to one another, it's always a reminder to me that I've done that once. It's a reminder to me that I've made those kinds of promises. It's a reminder to me that I have committed my life to a human being, my wife. And there's something good and healthy about that. And I wonder as we witness a baptism today, if the same thing is true, if we're reminded that, yeah, for those of us who've been baptized as followers of Jesus, if we're reminded that that's what we did, there was a time in our life when we realized we needed to follow Christ and we chose to do that and we chose to make it public and declare it openly. And I wonder if there's a sense in which we need that reminder. We need that reminder of what our, our lives ought to continue to be. I'm just going to skip ahead a couple of verses here. This is one of the things that Jesus taught. By the way, when in the Great Commission he says, go and make disciples, then all of the things that he said and taught about being his disciple really matters, including this verse. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That is a calling for all of us as followers of Jesus. Maybe today we've celebrated as we've witnessed three people get baptized and commit themselves to follow Christ. But we need to be reminded that for all of us, this is the calling on our lives, that daily we would take up our cross. It's like daily. We don't have to get baptized more than once, but daily we're ready to make that public declaration, that public commitment that we are with Jesus. As Andreas mentioned, this is what our discipleship path is all about. We are not looking, I think as some churches do, to find success in having full pews or to define success by the size of our budget. 
Success for an authentic church is found in this. Not in how many people come through our doors, but in how many of us are committed to following Christ. We want to be a church that wins those who are separated from God and convinces those who are searching for Christ. And then we want to be a church where we pursue Jesus and we pursue the transformation that he offers, not as perfect people, not as having arrived. Always remember the great commission was given to the disciples right after Matthew tells us they doubted. You ever notice that in Matthew 28? Jesus appears to them on the mountain, says they worshiped him there, but some doubted. That gives me great hope. Because I don't have to be fully transformed and I don't have to have arrived before I get baptized, before I become a follower. The whole point of being a follower of Jesus is that he would transform me from what I am now into his image and likeness and character. This is what we want to be as a church. We want to be people who are passionately following Christ, growing in our faith, strengthened in our faith, uh, seeking to be Christ to the people around us. We want to be a church that's reaching back to people who are still searching, still separated, and influencing them to follow Christ. And we want to be people who come alongside younger believers and put our arm around them and say, keep going, keep following Jesus. This is what it means to be an authentic church. We're going to sing, and then Andreas is going to come and close the service.